Welcome to the Invisible India podcast. I'm Jessica. And I'm Abhishek. We are a cross-cultural couple doing life in India, exploring the lesser-known mysteries of Indian culture, interviewing fascinating figures who have chartered new territories, and sharing life as we raise our multicultural family amongst the complexities of modern Indian life. Hope you're all doing well. It is the middle of super hot summer season here. We're burning up. We got the fan going. Sorry if it's disturbing the recording at all. Today's topic is something that I've been wanting to throw out there for a while and something that anyone that comes to India for the first time observes. Indian people have a different way of using phones, communication, and particularly smartphones. So today's topic is Indians and smartphones, India's smartphone revolution. What are my observations about smartphone use in India? How's the technological revolution change the way people relate with each other? And how does the massive population and smartphone use affect societal fabric? So first I want to say that there are many Indias. We say this in most of our episodes, but just want to reiterate that India is one of the most diverse countries on the planet. It has many languages, many different cultural groups, many states, which could really be their own countries in and of themselves. So when we say, when we talk about India, this is a huge group of people that we're talking about. So I don't want to generalize too much, but we use some data which captures the massive market and smartphone usage within the second largest country in the world, which is soon to be the first. By 2050, India is going to be the most populated country on the planet. There are the wealthy upper class. There are the masses of middle class, which are relatively newer in the last 20, 30 years. And the poor 300 million, many who, of whom also have mobile phones and pretty much everyone in between. So we are talking about a huge variety of people here. If you've ever heard us talk about development in India or if you've listened to any kind of development talks or read anything in India, you know that development has never been even in India. So we have highly evolved smartphone users, early adapters who've had smartphones since the beginning. And then we have people that just got their first smartphone yesterday. We have some of the most incredible architecture, like the Ambani's multi-million dollar exquisite flat in Mumbai, which is, I think, one of the most costly residences in the entire world. And then you have millions of people living in abject poverty and slums. India is the land of contrasts, not just economically, but in many other facets. But we can save that discussion for a different time. So that's something that we have to think about as far as the use and penetration of the market with smartphones. India has a population of 1.32 billion people. The latest numbers from Wikipedia in January 2019 say that India has 1.18 billion mobile phones. So that's a 90% user rate. So how do we explain that? 
Many people have more than one phone. For example, someone have a business phone and a personal phone. While many others, like some elderly people and children, don't have their own mobile phone, or sometimes spouses will share between a husband and wife. That's a little bit of context on the market we're talking about. So let's start. I'm sure this podcast, unfortunately, will overgeneralize, but generalizations are sometimes that we can understand society. So let's start with the first observation or first topic. One of my observations is that private life in India is difficult to come by. Indians don't necessarily get a lot of privacy. People are into your business watching you. In the West, we call this stalking. <laughs> in India, it is people's responsibility to watch each other, to keep them in line, or to keep watch on the neighborhood, and of course to have someone to gossip about or to compare yourself with. For example, on the privacy, we live in an apartment complex and we had a guest visiting us for a few days. And this guest had done some laundry and I had hung it out on the balcony. One of my neighbors had come and said to me, oh, hey, I saw some laundry on your balcony and so you must, you must have a guest. So this person actually had watched my laundry so carefully, they knew what laundry was my laundry and what laundry was my guest's laundry. So that's telling you, that's showing you about how much people are watching you, how much people are observing each other. That can be a very good thing, then it can also be a bad thing. But just to say, a lot of youth feel that they don't have any privacy. So your phone becomes your own personal escape, your own personal space. No one can interfere with your private mobile world. And I think that's one of the reasons why mobile craze is so intense in India. Second point, a phone in many societies has also been seen as a status symbol. So in the US in the 1950s, it was a car that defined how cool you were. What kind of a car did you have? Did you have a car? People were sold marketing schemes to buy cars. And this has obviously changed over the decades and varies from culture to culture. In the West, I think now it is a lot of different things that people feel that they're defined by. But I don't really think that phones are one of them. I don't think that people feel a sense of worth if they have an iPhone 5 or an iPhone 8 or an iPhone 10. I don't necessarily think people are so attached to that. Some of the things are international travel, how many unique tattoos you have, or being specialized in particular interests. But in contrast, in India, I think that there are many possessions which still bring a lot of value or a lot of like people define themselves by their possessions. So I think it could be a car here since cars are relatively newer for the middle class. Motorcycles is definitely one that I've seen people kind of competing and who has the coolest motorcycle since this is relatively newer access to the main public. But one's mobile phone Facebook profile, TikTok profile. If you're in India, you know what TikTok is. Or their Instagram selfie presence is kind of what defines you here. 
your WhatsApp, what you post for your status, what selfies you post for your status. This is all something that the younger generation is really taking a lot of meaning in defining themselves. Let's come to the third point since I brought it up. Selfie culture. This is a big one. If you scroll the average Indian smartphone user's camera gallery, it will be 90% selfies and 10% WhatsApp memes or videos. Maybe not 10%, maybe 9%, and then the other 1% is receipts or pictures of other random things. Again, your phone is a private space that can be all about you. In the West, we laugh if someone takes a lot of selfies, and we assume that they are self-absorbed. But that's not really the case here in India. In India, most of your life is naturally kind of revolving around other people. That's just the way the society is. Your, your life kind of revolves around, if you're a young person, your parents, your elders, your peers, your teachers. It's a very other-focused society. But again, with this private mobile space, it can be all about you. So my theory is that people's phones and social medias are kind of all about them. Did you know that India has the highest number of selfie deaths in the world? There have even been designated no selfie zones that the government has put in place for circumstances like the Kumbh Mela, which is the largest religious gathering in the world. And this is for fear of people clogging up foot traffic and causing a stampede. I've also seen on certain cliff points where it says no selfie zone because it's dangerous and people are trying to get just the perfect angle and they slip and fall. It's a serious issue. More on selfies. For example, we were just recently at Madumalai Tiger Reserve in Tamil Nadu, and we were looking out for animals on the horizon from our car window with our binoculars. We kept seeing elephants far in the distance and we would stop the car to get a better look. But no one around us seemed to care, and people just kept passing by. And it took me a minute to figure it out. For many Indian people, if it isn't close enough to take a selfie with, it isn't worth taking a picture of. As a foreigner, I get asked every day, at least once, sometimes more, for a selfie with a stranger, which makes me feel a bit like a piece of meat. But nonetheless... There's really not etiquette when it comes to taking selfies or pictures with people or their children. And I really think that this is because selfies and smartphones is a newer phenomenon. I really think that people will learn soon enough. And I don't make a huge deal about it, but it is quite irritating. And I, and I again, I attribute this to the fact that development has not been really even People are having access to information and access to being able to record things and capture things so that I think they're kind of like over-recording or over-capturing things that maybe we in the West, we've had cameras for decades. Everybody has a camera. My, you know, your grandparents had a camera, their own personal camera. You didn't have to go to the photo studio to get your picture taken. Everyone had their own personal camera. And now with the mobile craze in India, it's like 
everybody has a camera for the first time. So it's different. There's different rules. There's different etiquette or what sometimes feels like lack of etiquette. So speaking of lack of etiquette, next point, this is the first time that people have been able to access other people pretty much at any time, at any place. So what looks like lack of etiquette in Indian mobile usage, people answer phone calls at any time. It's part of the culture. It's part of the way you use phones to call someone multiple times in a row to show that you really want to talk to them. There's no voicemail. In Western countries, you don't even call somebody. Mostly you text them first or email them and schedule a time to talk to them. If you're a, if it's, you're a personal friend, you don't want to bother them and make them feel like they have to pick up right now. There's also a thing that we have uh, in, in every single plan in at least the United States and Canada is that people have voicemail. So if you miss their call, then you can leave them a voice message that they will listen to later and then they will call you back once they get it. So in India, what we do is we call and call and call and call and call until the person picks up. You can call late at night, no issue. If they don't pick up, you wonder what's wrong. It's kind of, there's no concept of privacy or do not disturb. And so this is something that's kind of upsetting society with the lack of etiquette, with calling, texting, messaging at any time, and assuming that people are available at any time. Because in previous generations, people were hardly available at all. You, if you had a landline, you know, someone kind of had to be home all the time to attend to that line because you never knew if you were going to be able to get in touch with them. So now people are kind of over-calling. Again, this is my theory. Here's an example of how social media has recently kind of challenged the social fabric of society. So we had a recent scenario where there were some etiquette breaks that social media was to blame for or misuse of social media was to blame for. We had something go down in our personal circle where someone's marriage had been fixed or arranged, the date had been set, and everyone in, in the family had been waiting for this person's dates to be announced. It had been several years. Everyone was kind of hoping that it would be fixed soon. This person would be able to find a spouse soon. So finally it got fixed, and this person messaged a relative that lived outside of India. And this person, assuming that it was public knowledge because this person was a younger person that also used social media, so assuming that, oh, okay, this person is telling me about their marriage date, so everyone else must already know. So this person told a few other people, and it kind of passed around the family, no big deal. Well, basically what happens is the younger people then told the other people, oh, so-and-so's marriage date got fixed, and the older people felt terrible because they weren't called directly. They had not received a wedding card and they felt very dishonored that the younger people were all talking about this and they hadn't been informed. And if you understand Indian society and hierarchical family structure, this is a big problem because the older people are the ones that make the decisions about the important things, the family, especially things like marriage. So This was a big issue that that the news had gotten around 
in the wrong order. This one example of the different sets of digital rules causing challenges for the formal social fabric of honoring other people. Next point is about fake news. There is a lot of misinformation that spreads in India on WhatsApp and through fake news sites. This really is caused just because of lack of reliable journalism and a huge, I would say even lust for sensationalism. And, and this stuff works because people watch it. In other countries in the world, there are sites which are known as reliable news sites, and then there are, there are sites which are known as not reliable news sites. And there's kind of a clear demarcation between them. And here people just don't have the sense or the, um, I guess, they've not, there's not like that clear social responsibility to not pass on scammy type of information. And people can be more, I would say, easily deceived by fake news or scammy, scammy type of stuff. So I can't tell you how many really weird scammy news things I've received when sometimes I don't even respond to people of this is a scam, this is fake. And I've even fallen for it a couple of times where I had sent something on without you know, double checking, is this actually news from today or is this news from five years ago? So I think that we have to control our curiosity and I think that we might be able to have reliable journalism in India if we are able to control ourselves and just stop forwarding on this ridiculous stuff. It's simple supply and demand. If we stop watching it, it will die out. There's also the issue of sharing inappropriate content. It isn't really seen as unprofessional in India to send jokes or suggestive content to other people. The worst that I find personally is when people send videos of dead bodies or horrific accidents. This is probably what I find the most disturbing because it's totally unexpected. I've been sent photos of post-car accident footage I got footage from the bloody Sri Lanka bombings, and the worst was a video of a girl being raped. This is terribly unacceptable. It uses fear to warn people to be careful, which really just incites rage and fear in people. We don't need to be shown graphic footage to be stirred up. I think we can be more responsible and aware citizens of society than to have to send this kind of disgusting content to each other. Shifting gears a little bit, I want to talk about what is technology, screens, and being constantly plugged in doing to our kids. Most pediatricians across the world say that children under the age of two should have no screen time whatsoever. And between the ages of two and five, can be allowed up to one hour per day. Some experts say even less than that. We have been given a powerful tool in our hand and no one is censoring or limiting us. We have to learn to censor and limit ourselves. Indians are generally used to having things censored for us. TV in Bollywood has an element of censorship and certain things are simply not shown on TV. 
But the boundaries have been pushed a lot with increased violence and sexual content in the movies. And really no rating system is in place that the general public is aware of. In many other countries, there are rating systems that warn parents about inappropriate content in the shows so they don't let their children watch it. In India, we're not really used to this idea. So when we get something from the U.S. or from Australia or from the U.K. or from Africa or from wherever, we just think that it's kind of like Indian content, that we can just show anything and everything to our kids. But that's not true. There's some stuff that is clearly labeled as adult content or violent or sexual content. Here's one example. I once walked into my friend's home where their eight-year-old son was playing a mature 18-plus video game that had pornographic content in it. The parents did not have any idea that these kind of games even existed, and they were horrified when they saw it. So just to say, not every type of media can be trusted. We don't need to judge each other on how much or how little media that we consume or let our kids consume, but we should be aware and mindful of how it is affecting us. In the West, we went through the Industrial Revolution shortly after the Agricultural Revolution, followed by the Technological Revolution. We had landlines in every home for decades. We had computers first, followed by mobile phones, followed by smartphones. In India, we skipped industrial revolution and went straight from agriculture to technology. And in many places, like where Abhishek and I live, these two are coexisting side by side. A few days ago, I was driving and I saw a woman on the side of the road selling mushrooms and broccoli, and she looked like she had just come from the fields herself and she was watching some weird fake news site on her mobile phone. So these two are, you know, coexisting side by side. The protocol is different. There has never been a need for voicemail or answering machines in India because the idea is that someone would always kind of be home to answer. And the idea that if you got a call and you didn't pick it up right away is just astounding to people. So in conclusion, even in Western societies, this is becoming a problem, not just in India. Overuse of smartphones and screen time is an issue everywhere. People are becoming socially isolated from each other. Depression and anxiety are higher than ever. Research shows that the more time a person spends on social media, the more depressed and anxious that they have a tendency to become. We're dealing with an addictive substance unlike anything the world has ever seen. You kind of have to use smartphones to communicate in this day and age. If you don't, you will kind of have a tough time communicating with others in some aspects. But I know some who do it, who live without a lot of technology, who live without smartphones intentionally. We can survive without social media, smartphones and Netflix. It just may be a little bit culturally subversive. I'm not suggesting this as a solution for everyone. I'm just saying that it is possible to live completely without it. And it's certainly possible to limit it, to have self-control, and to think about how this is affecting our kids, our lifestyles, and those around us. We need to set examples for our kids of how to limit these activities and how to have a meaningful life outside of our digital world. Learning how to unplug and pay attention.
we can unplug or limit ourselves. It's our choice. It's our lives. And nobody can force us to do anything. The fear of missing out is something that we do have to deal with. But we can overcome that by having authentic relationships and focus on the world around us. So that's it for my thoughts on the Indian smartphone revolution, Indians and smartphones. Please leave your comments. I would love to hear what you think about this topic. Please connect with us on social media. Please like and subscribe. 